So imagine being asked to make the straightforward decision between a job that paid $50,000 a year and one that paid $100,000 a year. So we'll call the first one the $50,000 job um, option A and the $100,000 job option B. Now there's one catch, however. In option A, you'd make twice as much as your other employees who'd only make 25,000. And in option B, you'd make only half as much as the others who would make 200,000. So in option B, you'd make more money overall, but you'd be doing worse than the others around you. Now, would you believe that the majority of Harvard students that were offered this choice chose option A? They chose making more money than others even though they would be making less money overall. Now, we are all affected by a human condition in which we don't just care about how we're doing. We care more about how we're doing in relation to how others are doing. In today's message, Jesus is going to use a question that was asked of him by an unnamed person in a crowd He's going to use it as a teachable moment to warn us against this kind of thinking. So let's turn to Luke chapter 12, and we're continuing reading verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have no way to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. And according to the American version, I'm going to read now from the American version of the Bible. There's no such version. But this is how the American version reads. Retire. Relax, eat, drink, travel, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up, for tre lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Greed is an impediment to our spiritual growth. Greed will always hinder our spiritual growth. Now, who among us this morning hasn't had a family-related, I'm sorry, an inheritance-related family dispute? Who among us who have, have, hasn't had that? A dispute over land, money, or 
family heirlooms. Is there anybody here who has never had that kind of dispute? Well, some of the younger ones are saying that now. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> Just wait and you'll see. <laughs> now, these kinds, of, these kinds of disputes often stem from the sin of covetousness, otherwise known as greed, or what someone calls the disease of possessionitis. Possessionitis. Covetousness is a desire for something or someone that is not rightfully yours. It rightfully belongs to someone else and it's not yours by right. It, this may be their looks, their possessions, their popularity, their power, their position, their spouse, their skill, their house, their car, or other types of material possessions. And so the person in our text this morning was covetous of his brother's share of the family inheritance. Now in the culture that they live, it mandated that the eldest son in that family would receive a double portion of what the others would receive. Twice as much as the others. And so this younger brother, you might assume that he was the younger brother, he would have already received his share of the inheritance, what was allowed by law. And so he appeals to Jesus to referee the dispute and to order his older brother to divide the, uh, his larger share with him. So Jesus is caught in the triangle in the middle. But rather than taking sides in this dispute, in this rivalry, this sibling rivalry, Jesus uses the opportunity as a teachable moment to issue a warning to all of us against the sin of greed. This is how the NIV renders the verse we read earlier. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now please note this morning that Jesus' Jesus's warning is not limited to our going after money and possessions. That's not the only kind of greed he's talking about. Jesus is warning us against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. Now in nearly every instance in scripture where there's a list of moral vices given, guess which vice exists among them or is given among them? If you said covetousness, you would have guessed right. Because in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 22, I'm not going to read them, just, I'll just list them. Romans 1, 29, Ephesians 4, 19, and then 5, 3, Colossians 3, 5, 1 Timothy 6, 10, and, and 2 Peter 2, 3. All of them list covetousness when listing the moral vices. And these moral vices include evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, unrighteousness, malice, strife, maliciousness, gossip. On every list they give of the moral vices, covetousness is also on that list. Now the difference between covetousness and most of these other vices is that covetousness focuses on an attitude while most of the other vices focus on actions. The other vices deal with outward conduct. Covetousness deals 
with an inner attitude, an inner desire. Now I like this. Someone said, I quote, to stop the sin of covetousness, you need a policeman living in your heart, not just one standing on the street corner. If you're going to stop yourself from being covetous, you have got to station a policeman inside your heart, not just have him stand on the street corner. And so when Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all kinds of greed, he means, he means watch out, he means pay attention to your inner self. Pay attention to your inner self. Notice that Jesus is not commanding us here to be the judge of someone else's attitude towards grief. I think we do that very well, don't we? We look at the other person and we think, oh, he has an issue with greed. Jesus is not asking us to be the judge over someone else's attitude. That is their issue. He's commanding us to judge our own selves. Jesus' command presupposes that we can all fall into the trap of greed. We are all susceptible to the love of money, to the love of things, or to the love of more. We can all allow the love of more to keep us away from what we need most. We can all allow the love of money to keep us away from church, away from prayer, away from discipleship, away from generosity, away from serving, and away from growing spiritually. So judge for yourselves, Jesus says. Pay attention to your own self. Be on your guard. Station that inner policeman in your heart, lest greed or the love of more overtake you. Now a comedian once quipped, I quote, you can't have everything, where would you put it? Now that is the dilemma of the man in this story, in, this, in Jesus' parable. God has blessed him with more. God has blessed him with prosperity beyond what he and his family needed to live comfortably. God has prospered him beyond his capacity, which prompts the important question from him. What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? Now, there's nothing wrong with the question except for these two things. So there's everything right about the question except two things. The first of which is this. He asked the question of the wrong person. The wrong person. He doesn't consult the one who has blessed him with this bounty and with this prosperity. He doesn't consult the blesser, well, let's call God that, the blesser, because he's the generous benefactor. He's the one who gives us all things. He gives us the power to obtain wealth. He prospers us. But he doesn't consult the blesser about what he should do. He consults himself. He relies on his own analysis of the market rather than prayerfully consulting God about his economy, about God's economy. See, sometimes we look at the market around us, how the stock market is doing, and how our retirement portfolios are doing, all that stuff, but we don't consult God about his economy, which should supersede, uh, supersede I'm sorry, the, the market. 
he should have asked God, what should I do? This is what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 tell us. Trust in yourself with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, including money. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So that's the first thing that he got wrong. The second thing that he got wrong is that he relied on his own answer. So first of all, he asked the wrong person the question and then secondly, he relies on the wrong answer. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my bonds and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now, there's nothing wrong with seeking to increase capacity. There's nothing wrong with that. It makes absolute sense to do what he's doing in here. It makes absolute sense to tear down small barns and build larger ones in order to increase capacity. It makes sense. But the error in this man's answer is in his reasoning, in his philosophy about life, in his motive behind what he's doing. This is his motive. He says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Notice that the answer he gives himself is all narrow-minded self-talk. He's talking to himself. He addresses his soul, his inner person. And the reason that he wants to undertake this expansion project is that he can say to his soul, you have ample. You have ample that is laid up now. You've worked hard. You've invested 30, 40 years or whatever in your career. You have, you have ample that is stored up. Be merry because you have accumulated more than enough to outlast your life. Now what this man fails to realize that is that his soul will never be satisfied by more. He fails to realize that. No matter how much he has, his soul will never be satisfied. I like that song you just chose around about being satisfied in Jesus. One thing about the soul, the nature of the soul, is that it has this insatiable desire for more. Is your soul like that? Because I know that my soul is like that. So I'm probably preaching to myself. I know my soul. I know that my soul is just like this man's. There's an insatiable desire for more. This is what the ancient historian Plutarch once said, quote, greed never rests from the acquiring of more. And so Jesus is not telling a story of a man 2,000 years ago. He's not just telling a story about a man 2,000 years ago. In fact, Luke does not even bother to name him, which means, I think, that this unnamed man can be any one of us in 2003. Any one of us here this morning can relate to this man. And so the plan that he comes up with is nothing more than a glorified retirement plan. And there's nothing wrong with having a retirement plan, but that's what he does. For him, 
The size of his retirement portfolio is more important than the size of his reliance upon God. Now again, please hear me. This is not an attack on responsible stewardship. I don't believe that God included in the Bible the story of the ant who worked hard to accumulate stuff all summer and then would have something to rely on during the winter. I don't believe that God included that story in there for us not to apply it to ourselves. So this is not an attack at all. Saving up for a rainy day is always going to be scriptural. It's going to be scriptural. But I believe that God did not intend for us to be so trapped in the web of adding more and more and more to our retirement portfolios that God and his kingdom are forced into the backseat of our lives. Can I say that again? Will you still love me if I said it? <laughs> you know, God did not intend for us to, 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 to be adding more and more and more and more and more and more if adding more is going to cause God and his kingdom to be placed into the back seat of our lives. And isn't it true that many of us live like that? Judge for yourselves, Jesus says. Put that inner policeman into your heart and judge for yourselves. Judge for yourselves on these five things, quickly. If you work every single day of the week, without taking time off for other important things like rest, family, relationships, and friendships. If you never refuse overtime when it is offered, regardless. If you take a second or third job only so that you can have more. If you keep absenting yourself on the one day that we set aside for corporate worship because you're too tired or too busy doing something else. If you leave no margin to seek and to serve the only one who can satisfy your soul, then how are you different from the man in our text? No wonder Jesus says, judge for yourself. So if life for you is about building bigger bonds so that you can have more, if that is that's what life means, always tearing down your smaller barns so that you can increase capacity, you can have more. But if you're doing all of that at the expense of your soul, whose greatest need is the spiritual nourishment that you get from God, are you not very much like the man in Jesus' story? The psalmist David tells us that only God can satisfy the longing that we find in our souls. And you and I have it. We, there is a longing in our souls. Every one of us has that longing. And this is what the psalmist David says. He's in a desert place. And the thing about a desert place is that you can't find water typically in a desert. You can't find food. So there's a longing. There's a thirsting. That's kind of how David expresses it. He says, oh God, you... Ah, my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul will, will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyous, joyful lips. For you, O oh God, you have been my help. 
And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. That is not what the man in this story does. He relies on himself. Here's our second and final point this morning. Greed sets us up to hear God call us fools. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, the greatest insult that you can give any person is to call them a fool. Nobody wants to be called that. Fool means, I looked up the dictionary, fool means a silly or stupid person who lacks judgment or sense. A silly or stupid person who lacks judgment or sense. Who wants to be called that? I don't. Who wants to be called that? You don't. Who wants to be called that by God when it really matters most? I believe that our text points out at least five behaviors that makes one a fool, make one a fool. First of all, failing to realize that your soul is not even your own. There's some of us who behave, I'm sorry, as if that were the case, that as if our soul is our own. We don't realize that it is borrowed. It is finite. There is a time when you and I will be compelled to give it back to the one who gave it. God said to, to this man, this very night your soul is required of you because it didn't belong to you in the first place. It was borrowed. It was finite. It was given to you. You have to give it back one day. That's the first Behavior. Secondly, failing to realize that you can't take it all with you. You must leave behind everything you've worked so hard in this life to accumulate. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? I'm told that the first time that this phrase, you can't take it with you, was used dates back to 1841. A man named Frederick Marriott recited it in this line, quote, he, want, he was very fond of money, but he could not take it away with him when he died. That's where that originated, way back in 1841. Failing to realize that we can't take it all with us. Thirdly, failing to realize that it is folly trying to go through life accumulating stuff at the expense of your soul which is worth way more than anything that you accumulate. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verses 36 to 37. For what profit, in other words, how, are you going, how is it going to work out for you in the long run? What profit does it have for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? These are rhetorical questions, but as you ponder these questions, you recognize that the answer really is nothing. You cannot, there's nothing in this life that is worth as much as your soul. I don't know that this is a true story, but it perhaps helps my case. I'm told that a man, he knew that he was going to die, so he liquidated all of his assets, turned them into gold bricks, and he required that his family put these bricks uh, into the casket with him when they were burying him. 
And so he arrives at the pearly gates and Peter meets him there and Peter notices his heavy suitcases and asks, you know what, what are you bringing into, into heaven? And the man opens his suitcase to show off all the gold that he was brought and Peter looked at him and said, you've got to be kidding me. You mean that you're bringing pavement to heaven? Pavement? Because heaven was paved with the gold that he thinks he's bringing to contribute. Failing to realize that what you accumulate is not worth as much as your soul. Failing to realize that laying up treasure for yourself is of lesser value than being rich towards God. God wants us to be rich toward him. And so God says, so is, Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Have you met people like that? People who are rich as far as the accumulation of things uh, is concerned, but people who are poor spiritually, poor towards God. It should be the other way around, or maybe even both. And then finally, failing to realize that true contentment can be found only in God, who is your helper. Rather than having to carry on your shoulders the burden of doing life alone. And so in Hebrews chapter 13 verse, and verse 5, the writer says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is your helper. He is the one who helps us through life. And so we don't have the burden on us of trying to figure out capacity and trying to figure out how much more we should add. In fact, a great question that we should ask ourselves always, and I was told this many years ago, you should always ask yourself, how much is enough? How much is enough? In other words, how will I have known that the things that I have accumulated are enough, rather than thinking that I need to go on and on? There must be a point to accumulation. And so I believe that all of us, as I close, we must strive never to let God have to call us fools because we were guilty of having the disease known as possessionitis. You know, I love yard sales. I don't know about you. I love to go to yard sales. I love to find good deals. But you know what I've realized recently? I need to begin to put a check on myself. Because sometimes I find it hard not to stop at another yard sale. What that is telling me is that I am plagued by this very disease called possessionitis. I need to be putting that policeman inside my, my soul to keep me in check. So let's strive never to let God have to call us fools because our emphasis was on the wrong thing accumulating things rather than on being rich towards God. Here's the bottom line of our message. Life is not measured by the abundance of our possessions. There were three ways in which I want you to think about this message today before we close. They're going to be in the form of three questions. The first of which is this. Will you let Jesus save your soul? Will you let Jesus Save your soul. The question is, do you need to be saved from anything on the list of vices that I read? 
for you. I've got a long list. I'll read them again. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all manner of unrighteousness, malice, strife, gossip, hatred for God, insolence, boastfulness, disobedience, faithlessness, heartlessness, ruthlessness. Is there anything on this list that applies to you? Are you struggling with any of these? If you are, then your soul needs saving. And the only one who can save your soul from any of these vices and others that you might add to them, the only one who can save your soul is Jesus. Jesus. Again, I repeat that nothing in this life is worth losing your soul over. I don't care what it is. There is nothing in this life that is worth losing your soul over. And if there's nothing else, if there's nothing in this life that is worth losing your soul over, then it is foolish to lose your soul while trying desperately to gain the whole world. So I ask you this morning, with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, I ask you this morning, will you let Jesus save your soul? Let me tell you how you can do that. You can do that by simply asking him to. There's no, there's no rhyme or rhythm about what you do and how you do it. You just have to be honest and tell Jesus, Lord Jesus, my soul needs saving and you're the only one who can do it. And this morning, I am going to put my faith in you to save me. Is there any person here today who wants to do that? May I see your hand? I do see that hand. I do see those hands. I do see that hand. I do see that other hand. And that. Lord Jesus, seven hands went up this morning. All indicating in honesty that they need you to save them. And upon the authority of your word, you said, Lord, that if we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead. And if we confess that, we will be saved. I pray, Lord, that that would be the reality of each person whose hand went up today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. To those of you who raised your hands, I'm available to talk right after the service if you desire to process that with me further. Secondly, I want to ask you this question. Would, will you let Jesus satisfy your soul? Will you let Jesus satisfy your soul? It was Blasey Pascal who said this. There is a God-shaped vacuum in every human heart which cannot be satisfied by anything or anyone but God through Jesus Christ. A God-shaped vacuum. Now, it is not only the sinner who needs to hear that. The Christian needs to hear that as well. Because, you see, even though we are already saved, yet we often still crave after other things 
that still leave us empty, we need to know that Jesus is the satisfier of our souls. Now we hear God lamenting in his word. And when, when God has to lament over his people, that's not a good thing. And in Psalm, chapter, in Psalm 81 and verse 15, God is lamenting that if only his people had sought satisfaction in him rather than in other things. This is what he says. Oh, that my people would listen to me. If they would listen to me, this is what he goes on to say, I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. So God is lamenting. If only my people would really let me be the satisfier of their souls rather than looking to things to satisfy them. And then in the New Testament, we hear Jesus say to the woman at the well who sought satisfaction in every illicit relationship that she could find. In fact, she had had five husbands and Jesus told her bluntly, none of them belong to you. They belong to somebody else. Jesus says to her this in John 4 and verse 14, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what that tells me is that if I allow Jesus to satisfy me with his living water, I will never be thirsty for things again. So I ask you this morning, will you seek to find your satisfaction in Jesus? Let me tell you how you can do that. You can do that by cultivating a daily dependence upon him for everything, including your retirement, including your finances. Let prayer and scripture be your two most important daily companions. You can never go wrong with prayer and scripture. Do I have an amen on that? Amen. Here's a final question. Will you let Jesus secure your soul? So Jesus can save the soul, he can satisfy the soul, and he can also secure the soul. Will you let Jesus secure your soul? I read scripture a lot, not to perfection, but anywhere that I read in scripture, I read that Jesus is able to secure the soul from contamination by the vices that I read about. I read that Jesus is able to keep us secure in the love of God. I read that Jesus is able to secure until the day of his return whatever we entrust into his hands, whether that is family, children, finances, health, your future. Whatever you commit to Jesus, he's able to keep that which I commit unto him against the day of his return. I read that Jesus is able to keep my feet from straying. Because naturally, my feet don't naturally want to walk in God's way. I, I don't know about you. I know that my feet 
don't naturally want to walk in God's way. I have got to command my feet to go God's way. And he is able to keep me from straying. He's able to keep my soul anchored in him so that I don't drift. Because you see, just like the ship without its moorings, my life can drift in a thousand directions away from God. Jesus is able to keep me from drifting. Finally, Scripture says that he's able to keep us steadfast. That means that we don't kind of what? We don't move. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Will you let Jesus secure your soul? Let's pray together. God, your word is so true. Your word convicts us. Your word gives us clarity. Your word points us in the direction that you want us to go. Your word sanctifies us. Your word blesses and encourages us. Lord, use this word today to do whatever you choose to do in the hearts and lives of your people. We ask only, Lord, that you'd help each of us to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.